Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people working to understand viruses and how they affect you. We are talking with virologists, students and postdocs that belong to the American Society for Virology so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackray, and I am hosting this podcast from America's heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. On May 31st, 2022, we talked with Isabel Lewis, a graduate student at the Purbright Institute in Surrey in the United Kingdom. She studied bioveterinary science at the University of Lincoln in the UK, and she is investigating several virulence factors of lumpy skin disease virus, a pox virus of cattle that has recently emerged from sub-Saharan Africa. Thank you for talking with us today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, firstly, thank you for having me. It's really an honor to be able to share my work and how I got into virology. So my name is Isabel Lewis. I work at the Purbright Institute. I'm a final year PhD student. And my PhD has been in collaboration with the Friedrich Loftus Institute so they're in Germany and also the Royal Veterinary College in London. Um, so I have a background in bioveterinary science, that was my undergrad, and then I since found my love for virology during my undergrad mainly, and has managed to get into my PhD position where I am now. Great, and how did you become interested in science, or way back when, middle school, high school, what, what, what started it for you? So I, I always enjoyed science at school, but I was much more of a sporty person. I thought I'd be a PE teacher, that was going to be my life. And I was lucky enough to go on a volunteering expedition in Kenya, so I was 16. And I think the interactions with wildlife and nature made me understand that I actually have a deeper love for animals than sports. So for me, it was my love for animals which changed my career trajectory. So instead of doing um, A-levels, I did a BTEC qualification, so that's a more hands-on qualification in animal management. And from there, I realized I wasn't a big fan of certain aspects of like animal management. I cared more for the science. Hmm. So then from there onwards, I was like, well, how can I use my love for animals and science and use that to, use that to make a career out of it, basically? And then I looked at different degrees and bioveterinary science was the one that shot out to me because I didn't want to be a vet. I knew that. I knew the hard hours and the long days wasn't for me. And then I saw that bioveterinary science was very much kind of like in biomedical science for humans, but just focused more on animals rather than zoology, which is more conservation and welfare based, whereas I was much more interested in the hardcore science. And then from there onwards, I loved the virology lectures. The infection sciences modules were my favorite. And the vi virology, how you have so many different viruses that can cause so many different diseases and they come in much uh, different shapes and sizes. And the names are also amusing, I have to admit. We, we, we pick a good array of names for viruses. And yeah, that was what's really stemmed my career is my love of animal, my love of animals then found my love for viruses and I combined the two together. Right, right. And how did you find sort of your particular lab or your institution? Can you describe to us sort of like how that happened? So 
Luckily, I did my dissertation with my supervisor at the University of Lincoln, so during my bioveterinary science degree, and they had previously worked at the Purbright Institute, where I am now. So they knew that it fit in with what I was really interested in research-wise, and they really helped support me in my applications. And I was very lucky, the first PhD application that I applied for, I got. So I was very much, (laughs) very naive and applied for one that I just thought sounded amazing. So it was investigating the virulence factors of lumpy skin disease virus, a virus I'd never heard of before. So I got, I knew it was going to be fun to research a completely new different field and a field where there's lots of gaps in the knowledge. So I knew it'd be an interesting PhD to do. And my lab group are um, amazing. So I have a really um, strong, fierce boss. So Dr. Pitbird is honestly amazing. If you've ever met her, I would highly recommend to meet her. And she's made uh, our lab such a positive environment. So we are a, a big, I'd say a bigish lab. We have three PhD students at the minute and we have, I think, four postdocs as well. So it's a really good array of both students and postdocs. And we all work on different elements of lumpy skin disease virus. And then we can combine and interlink and see how they all relate and be able to make progress in further understanding the virus and the disease. Cool. And lumpy skin disease virus. Um, I have to say, I have not heard of that one before, even though I've been in virology for almost 30 years now. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about it? And then maybe talk about your PhD thesis work, um, sort of the big picture, but also sort of some of the techniques that you use, like how do you actually do your studies? So you're not the first to have not heard of lumpy skin disease virus. Um, So it's a pox virus, so part of the pox viridae family. Uh, large DNA virus. So you you can't see it on one screen. It's not eight segments of a little virus that you can work with, which makes it more interesting in my opinion. But lumpy skin disease virus causes lumpy skin disease. Again, we're not very imaginative with the names. It does what it says on the tin. And this is a disease that infects cattle and water buffalo. So it's a important pathogen that affects um, obviously cattle livestock. And it was originally endemic in sub-Saharan Africa. And has since spread over the last decade into the Middle East, Eastern Asia and Europe. So it's, you know, it's quite a neglected pathogen, despite this rapid spread of the disease. And the disease causes your characteristics like pox-like lesions on the skin. It causes a reduction in milk yield for cattle. It causes weight loss as well as like ocular nasal discharge. So you can imagine the economic impacts this has on the farmer. And, and countries have had to obviously spend a lot of money for control methods. And the main control methods are live attenuated vaccines. So there's, a array, there's an array of different commercially available vaccines and they have a strong lasting immunity and they have good efficacy. And But this has not prevented the disease from spreading. So we've still seen this big spread. And currently it was noted in Indonesia last in March this year. So now countries like Australia and New Zealand are obviously very aware of this virus and they know what the virus can do to their cattle populations. Obviously, they're big exporters of um, cattle products. So that shows more direct research is needed to be done in the prevention of the disease. And to understand the virus more, considering other pox viruses such as vaccinia virus, ectromelia virus, I mean, they're obviously monkeypox viruses in the news at the minute. There is little known about lumpy skin disease virus. And my project fits into that by trying to understand the virulence factors of lumpy skin disease virus. So 
what genes are encoding uh, proteins that can block and inhibit the innate immune response. So that's where my project kind of fits in. And we're hypothesizing by deleting these virulence factors, we can gener generate a rationally designed um, new vaccine, basically. So part of my project that I'll present at ASV is looking at uh, lumpy skin disease virus effect on the type 1 interferon pathway. So we're looking at an extracellular um, encoded protein that can bind to type 1 interferon and block that pathway. And type 1 interferon is important because it induces the antiviral immune response, which is known to interfere with viral replication and dissemination. So pox viruses being the huge DNA viruses they are, have encoded a multitude of immune evasion proteins to block type 1 interferon signaling. And nothing has been um, discovered yet in lung skin disease virus. So that was one avenue we've taken. And another is looking at um, VBCL2 proteins. So they're virally encoded BCL2 proteins, which are shown to um, play a role in apoptosis. And interestingly, vaccinia virus, another pox virus, encodes a multitude of these VBCL2 proteins that block NF-kappa B signaling. So we were looking to see if LSDV, so lumpy skin disease virus, has also these orthologs that can block NF-kappa B signaling as well. So two different pathways, very interesting, both of them. And yeah, hopefully we can then take this work forward. So what we've done is looking in vitro first, we have seen if these proteins, both VBCL2 and potentially a type 1 interferon decoy receptor, can actually block these two different pathways. And then we are going to take this further forward. Well, I say we, unfortunately, I'm finishing up my PhD. I'm in the, that fun phase of writing the thesis. But this work's going to be taken forward with these deletion viruses that we've created, definitely in the type 1 interferon part of my work, to see whether this creates an attenuated response in vivo. So we have an animal model at the Power Institute to study that. And then also to see whether this virus that has this gene removed can actually be a vaccine candidate as well. So that's future work. But in my project, I have focused on characterizing the proteins in vitro. That's what I've done. So using um, cell-based assays, such as Jordan-Cifrase reporter assays, um, ELISA-based assays as well, and also immunofluorescence, because that is my favorite technique. Great. And when, when you say that you're making deletion viruses, can you describe how you actually engineer or sort of um, change a DNA virus? Obviously, it's not as simple as sort of a 7KB RNA virus. So how do you do that? No, our virus is about 150 KB. So it's a lot different. You can't see it on one screen. So what we have to use for pox viruses is homologous recombination. So we will infect our cells with our virus, so LSDV in this case, and then we'll transfect themselves with a plasmid, which encodes our um, protein of interest to remove. So what I have is basically a marker plasmid. So I have an EGFP tag. You can have different tags. And then I have flanking regions either side of the gene I want to replace. So then we have, well, we get recombination in vitro. And then what we've since used is um, single cell sorting to isolate the EGFP expressing cells to the non. And with the cells that we use as well, they have very low transfection efficiency. So we need this um, technique of uh, single cell sorting to identify these EGFP colonies. And then we take them, we take them forward by limiting dilutions to make sure it's it's not contaminated with any of the parental virus. And then we have taken that further forward with um, uh, next generation sequencing. 
to confirm that the deletion is truly deleted. And then we've taken this marked virus, so we've now got an eGFP tagged virus, which lacks our, our gene of interest. And we've taken that forward to remove the eGFP by using uh, LOXP sites that flank this eGFP region. And then we, we passage this virus into MDBK cells. So that's the cell line that we use for lumpy skin disease uh, research. And we transfect, we, sorry, we infect them cells, which express Cree to then excise the LOXP sites to remove that eGFP marker. And the reason we wanted a markerless virus was to take forward into the animal trials because we don't, we don't know if eGFP would have any beneficial or negative effects, but we'd rather avoid that if we can. And luckily, that's all worked using the same method that we use to generate the eGFP virus, but instead using, obviously, the eGFP as the parental virus, and then using that single-cell sorting to remove the eGFP population from our uh, markerless population. Right, right. Um, and um, one question I had is um, for this pox virus and maybe others, how species restricted are there? So is, is this a disease, a, a virus that infects different types of cattle, but can actually periodically infect other livestock or humans? What is known about that? So lumpy skin disease virus is in the capripox virus genus, and they're known for being quite narrow, narrow host range. So lumpy skin disease only infects cat, well, lumpy skin disease virus only infects cattle and water buffalo. Hmm. So very narrow host range compared to other well-known pox viruses that can in, can infect a much broader range, which makes it easier to study in some regard. But we can't use a mouse model to study this bovine disease, unfortunately. And with sheepox and goatpox, which is another members of the capripox virus genus, it's in the name. They infect either sheep or goats. So they're very much a narrow host range from these viruses. And is the receptor known for um, the lumpy skin disease virus? No. So there's no receptor that's been linked to lumpy skin disease virus as of yet. But I think pox viruses mainly enter cells via phagocytosis and macrophinocytosis. Okay. So it's not, I don't think they've been linked to a receptor mediated entry, though I'm sure I could be quoted wrong. There are receptors that are involved. Yeah. In that process. We just don't know them yet. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you were saying that you're at the end of your PhD. So you're wrapping up. What are your next steps? What are you thinking about doing next then? I was quite open to a lot of different careers. So obviously some people like to remain in academia, some go to industry, some change careers altogether. I really wanted to enter lecturing. So I said this from day one, even in my interview, I remember saying I wanted to lecture and I've been lucky enough to be offered a lecturing position at an agricultural and sports-based university college in England. So I get to stay in my home country. So my mum is very happy. And my I get to I've obviously now thinking of long term, it's a it's a permanent job. And that was the thing that turned me off a bit about staying in academia and postdoc positions was the consistent moving around as much as there'd be great opportunities in great lab lab groups. I I was much more looking for a permanent career choice. Cool. And when you say a lectureship, what does that consist of? Yes. So it's going to be an animal science lecture role. So I'll be working on the like animal health and disease modules, potentially um, microbiology modules as well as uh, anatomy and physiology. So it'll be a teaching, predominantly a teaching role, but mm-hmm. I'll still be able to run some research, which would be very interesting. Oh, cool. I'm hoping I'm hoping to um, run some interesting projects with the students 
it's going to be exciting to hopefully encourage the next generation of scientists into the field. I mean, who knows how hopefully have the next Nobel Prize winner. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Um, And then, um, and I guess thinking about that, um, is there a particular virus or sort of type of experiment that you would like to continue, research that you would like to continue in your own um, uh, lab, as it were? I'd love to stay with viruses. However, I've got to be, I've got to consider the facilities I'm at. So at Perbright, we have the high containment um, facilities. So I don't have that in this new, in this new job. So it's definitely going to be a learning curve of what I can do within, within that Institute and what I I want to do. So I'm hoping to work on potentially parapox viruses because they're still important in the UK Hmm. and still get, I still get my pox viruses, which would be great. I'm looking to expand into um, other diseases as well and other pathogens. So I'm looking at Toxoplasma gondii, hmm. being another. It's a really interesting, prevalent, obviously parasite. So we shall see. Okay. Okay. And does it have to be uh, like diseases of um, agriculture or livestock, or can it be pretty much anything that you want to study? It could. It could be pretty much anything by the sounds of the <laughs> the, the new university I'm going for. My love is for livestock diseases, mm-hmm. so I will probably stay in that field. I was previously did research uh, focusing on avian diseases, so it'd be nice to go back potentially into that area as well as bovine, caprine and ovine diseases. Right, right. Um, and then I guess just finishing up, um, it's sort of an interesting time to be a virologist. What has the last two years sort of of the COVID pandemic been like for you? How, how has it affected you? Um, in, in work professionally, but also personally? Well, luckily I got my first year of my PhD done. So I did have some normality within my PhD, but I was actually at the Friedrich Loffel Institute in Germany, March, 2020. And I got, I got an email from different people saying, I think you should come home because I plan to come home a week after these emails and it was all starting to get a bit more serious. So I came home early and then a couple of days later, England went into lockdown and Germany stopped flights going from there to the UK. So I was very lucky to get back to my home at least. And I'm, I'm <laughs> my, my partner was the unlucky one in this because we'd been not together too long. And I asked to live with him <laughs> after saying we'd have a long distance relationship. I came back to the country. and was like, please take me. <laughs> so we had to, we did move in together and he was, he's a teacher. So he was doing online, um, online lectures and sessions. And I, I'm there trying to do some in silico work instead of obviously I couldn't work in the lab. So I decided to go down that avenue while I could. And I got very distracted listening to history, <laughs> this history classes. So it, it was fun. I got to learn a lot of different things. So if you ask me now, I wouldn't know. All I know is lump of skin disease virus at this moment <laughs> in time. And it was hard to not be in work in the lab, but I think it was harder going back because it was such a long time that you weren't there. It was harder going back and seeing lots of people and trying to know how to interact with, with humans again in society. Though I was lucky enough in the... Um, in the pandemic, the first lockdown in Britain, I got to work in a hospital lab. So I got to help run the PCRs there and managed to contribute and help and use my skills, thankfully, in this pandemic. So that was, that was you know, a nice break from working from home all the time. 
but we did get to go back to work not too long I think it was May 2020 we got back in the labs obviously there was a lot of restrictions so generating the deletion viruses I was working with a postdoc and trying to be able to train someone socially distanced was was a challenge and we managed to work through that well obviously we got successful deletion viruses so we, we did manage to you know go through them hurdles but now it's 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 nice to see everything kind of being more back together though there's still things that have changed and they've stayed that way so teams meetings are much more common now like when we present internal seminars and external seminars I think there's a high majority of people that still like the teams Mm. rather than the in-person whether that's just because you could sit at your desk you can eat a roll and no one's seeing you get sauce on your face (laughs) or you know other reasons but yeah there are definitely benefits that have happened from the pandemic as well as negatives and I think when you look back at the human kindness that we did see in around the globe you know there were good things in this pandemic I guess I didn't clarify so the when you talk about using animal models what kind of a model is it so we have a animal model and it's similar to uh, other groups in Belgium and FLI where they uh, infect, they inoculate cattle with a needle bolus in the, either intravenously or intradermally. So we use that to study uh, the LSTV in cattle because we can't use another model. We can't use another animal module just right. so it's now a host range. And is that um, like high containment? Yes, so it's in um, high containment animal facilities. So then we take all the samples into our high containment lab to then work on them because obviously... We don't want to release LSDV into the naive population. All right. Well, thanks so much for talking with us. It was very interesting um, to talk to you about your research. And um, we look forward to hearing more about it at ASB this summer. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Marissa. This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon Music, and other podcast providers, or at lmtv.podbean.com.